Hello, good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you're watching or listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to Three Blokes and a Rugby League podcast. As always, I am joined by Joss McVitie and Jed Amos Goddard, but we are not alone today. Before we officially start, I must give a special shout out to the boys over at Recovery. Chris and Ian are a couple of rugby fanatics like we all are and they've created various products with recovery in mind, based around natural CBD remedies. Head over to their Instagram page or their website and use the code three blokes. That's the number three and blokes for 10% off all of their natural products and feel the benefit today. So lads, today we are joined by an absolute beast of a bloke in every sense of the word. He's got bigger arms than Joss, has a big beard, he's got heart bigger than Jed's legs and he's got when he actually decides to grow an afro, he's got bigger afro than I have a bald spot as well, mate. So um, it's our pleasure to welcome Jamie Langley to the podcast. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, gentlemen. And um, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm really looking forward to it. Good stuff. So um, obviously for everyone that's just listening to this and not not watching it, you've got your full London Broncos gear on at the minute. I assume it's all systems go. It is indeed, yeah. Just literally uh, just walked through the door about five minutes ago and... And straight into the frying pan, we all had. So it's been good, mate. We're down. It's been about five weeks now. We've been back in. Well, by so we've got one more uh, this week. Got a couple of days next week. Then we're going to give the boys a mini break, and then we'll be into game phase. Then we've got two weeks to prepare for the round one at Challenge Cup. On by since we've got given the green light to get back into training. Uh, the, the initial two weeks of pre-season, uh, a bit in. Just trying to get the boys back, uh, ball in hand, back on the field. They've done a lot of linear running, so cardiovascular, they were very, very fit. Coming back after the nine months lockdown, some of the boys are clocking some of the best times on the 1.2 and all the running tests. Um, but in terms of building up some resilience and some rustiness, so yeah, we used that first two-week phase as what we probably do really two weeks prior to returning for pre-season. And then we hit the ground running then. So the last three weeks have been really intense for the players. It's really ramped up. But the lads have responded really well. Uh, we're happy with where we're at. And it's been just really, really enjoyable to get back going. I bet, you, I bet you're absolutely raring to go, mate, especially after the stop-start of last season or not, not even starting at all for, for some teams as well. Are you actually based down in London now? Or are you kind of somewhere in the middle? Yeah, based down there, mate. Been down here uh, best part of five years now. So first came down back in the 2015. Uh, Endo was the coach, and yeah, had some conversations with Endo. One of the things that he wanted to really focus on, uh, because I think what they'd had trouble with for prior two seasons were players and staff bouncing around a little bit, and the club had moved a lot as well. North London, East London, South London. So geographically, when you get to know London, it's massive. It's huge. It's pretty much like the North of England, really. So St. Helens, travelling to Wall and that kind of thing. Lendo said, I want everybody on site. So he got everybody to try and relocate the best they could as near to his training base in Ealing as we possibly could. And that one of the remits that he put in place. So, yeah, when I uh, when I got the nod for the job, I pretty much uh, ups- unpacked the house and I went down within a month, uh, down living in... West London there, I've been down for five years now, so it's, uh, it's been fantastic. Excellent stuff, mate. And I think it was yesterday or the day before the Broncos released their squad numbers, so I see obviously you've recruited a Wakefield lads in tighter squads here as well, and you seem to have a real strong squad of 
of just good, experienced players along with these good young young players as well. Are you excited for the season? Are you thinking it's a bit prosperous? Yeah, definitely. It's been it's been quite a tough period for us in terms of recruitment. Obviously, we didn't know where we were going to lie, whether it be Champs, Super League, after the Toronto decision were made. Uh, it's always a little bit more difficult to recruit down London anyway, in terms of getting experienced players down here, because it costs a fortune, as you know, for cost of living and stuff. So that can always um, prove a little bit more difficult, especially with COVID at the minute. I think uh, there's so much uncertainty. So we're still we're still on the radar for a few players, to be honest. We lost Eddie, obviously, to Wakefield. Dan Norman, Rotler were two of our good young forwards coming through as well to Saints and Warrington, respectively. So we brought Titus in from Wakefield. Been a great recruit, really impressed us. Um, did a couple of a couple of weeks there on trial and showed up really well. And he's earned a contract, which is fantastic. Um, we've got about seventy percent of our current first team squad have graduated through our system one time or another. So that's um, something we're really, really proud of. We're, we, we really believe in a build culture at London. We're not, we're not a buy culture or a build culture. To have 70% retention rate through our academy is um, it's definitely the highest number in the UK. Wigan will be nearest to us with about 52%, which is unbelievable. So it's something we're really proud of, bringing them lads through it. It's something that we have to do as well down here in London. We have to, for us to be sustainable as a club, we have to bring those home, homegrown academy players too. So yeah, we're happy where we're at. I think two more in uh, key positions, I think could really solidify that, but we're in no rush. We've got a squad of uh, 28 players currently, and we're getting, getting on average between 24 and 26. So we're getting some quality work done, which is good. And yeah, we'll just, we'll see what unfolds now over the next few weeks and months. Superb stuff, mate. Very interesting. So, well, I mean, we'll start from day dot, mate. Just before Christmas in 1983, you're a wakey lad, much like myself, Joss and Jed, born in Normington. Um, I mean, like I say, we're all born and raised in Wakefield and ordinarily we'd ask you about your, your origins of rugby league, but we all know that Normie itself, you either play rugby league or you don't. So, tell us about it, mate. Tell us about your upbringing and how did you get into it? So, my dad actually played pro rugby, uh, as it were, back then. I mean, you obviously worked at the time, but it was classed as professional for Leeds. Um, really successful team that Leeds had in the late 60s, early 70s. My dad played at Wembley three times. I think got a couple of Wembley winners medals. So growing up, um, it really humbled me, Dad. Like, I never used to even talk, to be honest. And it only be when people would bring it up that he'd, go, he'd have to go rummaging around in wardrobe and probably under a couple of old shoe boxes and old packets, he'd, he'd dig his, his bag of medals out and he'd have like Wembley winners medals and Yorkshire medals and this and that and um, Yorkshire Cups league winners. And me and my mates uh, would sit there and look at them obviously in awe. And, uh, but he never really encouraged me to, to play rugby league. It just, it was happy for me to do my own thing. And it was actually my best, um, uh, my next door neighbour and my best mate were a big cast fan. His dad was a big cast fan. The first game I ever watched or even knew what rugby league was about were when uh, it took us to watch Cass and Lee reserves, I think, down at Weldon Road. And they just signed Richie Blackmore, Tony Kemp. They were all coming through. So they're a rate team out Cass. I didn't know any different. It was a cold night. My, uh, my dad says, make sure you put a scarf on. So on its scarf, we have this red and white striped scarf. So I've gone wrapped up in that, obviously turned up. And my, my mate's dad's like, you're not wearing that, son. That's Lee colour. So anyway, he took that off me, give me a cast scarf. And that was my first experience of rugby league. Would have been about six years old. 
And then from there, my mate went down to Normington, which is obviously the, the amateur club around there, the community club, uh, to play for the under-sevens. Had a couple of good sessions. And he just said, do you want to come along? Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So I just said to my dad, dad, can I go down and, and uh, go to rugby training? So he just said, yeah, no problem. Go down, see if you enjoy it or not. And that's how it started, probably down at Normington under-sevens. Um, but as you said, mate, rugby league in that part of the country... It's in your blood, really, and it's ingrained into you. And you either play rugby league or you, or you don't play much else, really. So everybody, your mates and that, they're all playing rugby. So that's how it started, and uh, and then just went from there. As you've said, it is such a hotbed of rugby league, especially Wakefield as a whole, but especially Norman. You think of Benny Westwood, Benny Kakane, David Topless, yourself have all come out of that region. Um, and Normington itself, it's such a, an area that. Every, not even just like if you don't play, you go watch it or you'll go down, coming down the graveyard. For anyone who doesn't know, Normie's home ground's called the graveyard. It's an awful place to go, especially that embankment on one side. Um, how did you find it um, playing through the ranks there? And did you really get that it was a, a very much a family oriented culture? Because that's what it's always seemed like to myself. Yeah, it's a great club, is Normie. It's a great club. And uh, even now, my mum's the chairperson up there. So I started playing at seven years old. My uncle, my uncle Jody, played a bit of pro rugby at Hull. He was the treasurer at that time. Obviously, my dad used to go up every week and um, knock about with his mates. So it is really, it's a family affair. And I think from about, when I was about 12 years old, the current chairman who would have been mixed dead at that time, he ended up moving on. So there was no one to do it. So my mum just put her hand up, said, yeah, I'll do it. Became the chairperson. So ever since then, mum's been chairperson down at Normie. Uh, it takes up more time than a day job. Uh, she's always, every time I go see mum or whatever, she's on the phone and it's never ending really. Running running them community clubs is um, it's, a, it's a thankless task, but it's like a full-time job. It never stops because you're running, you're running age groups from under sevens all the way up to open age. As you say, Normington's a real hotbed, so they've usually got age groups all the way up every two years. So uh, I just knew no different. I didn't know any different. Um, you'd knock about with lads you played with at school kick the rugby ball about in playground at playtime. After school, you'd go to field and then you'd look forward to training at six o'clock. You'd probably train twice a week. Then Saturday, what, first team game? So you'd go down, you'd have a game of touch and pass before, first team game after. And then you'd play on Sunday. So it was just, it was just non-stop rugby league, probably from, from a young age, from seven or eight onwards. And it's sort of ingrained into you. And then on a deeper level as well, and you see this a lot when you go into coaching, uh, you sometimes wonder why certain players don't see things the way you want to see them or why they don't display certain values. And I think that's why, without going off too much of a tangent, a lot of, play, a lot of successful players don't always transition into coaching as well because they just think that everybody should see things. Why won't you want to be the best? Why won't you want to do things the best and strive to be the best you can be and be disciplined, hard working and share these values? I think a lot of people don't grow, they aren't fortunate enough to grow up either in environments where that's the norm um, or they have parents who instill values, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, there's, there's uh, many ways lead to Rome. But I think a lot of lads at a young age, especially growing up in them towns like Normington, Featherstone, Pontefract, wherever it might be, it's just ingrained into you at a young age because your parents worked hard for a living. You know, my dad worked down pit double shifts for years, like 12 hour days, non stop. Mum worked on a feet all day. and and that was just instilled into it at a young age. You know, you worked hard, you were disciplined, you were humble, there were no egos about you. And, and that transferred then into what you were doing with your rugby as well. 
So you just grow with it. You know no different. Um, when you come into coaching, uh, you sort of you know those lads who've grown up in them environments and grown up with those uh, values instilled into them. They stand out like sore thumbs. They really do. So I, I was really fortunate to have been able to grow up and, in an environment like that. I have some fantastic coaches who can really instill some good values into it at a young age as well, as long alongside your parents. So yeah, I mean, when I reflect back on it now, I just, uh, I just, I'm just really grateful that I got those opportunities and and I was able to experience that environment because it does shape you who you are as a person. Yeah, definitely, mate. And as you've just touched on that, your parents put a lot of uh, skills into you and obviously sort of raised you, raised you very well. Um, with your dad being an ex-professional player, how much would you say that he sort of influenced you or did he sort of let you have free reign and, and sort of learn and develop your love for the game yourself? Or was he kind of like, as, as well as your coach, as your dad was also your coach sort of thing? No, he, he, he um incredibly supportive. Um, but I'd say supportive from afar. So, you know, mum would take me to training, dad would take me to training, they'd be at every game, never miss a game, home or away. So we're always there, you know, always there for me. But never once did he push me into anything. Uh, never once were he dragging me down to the field to kick a ball about and, and run through some moves or whatever it might be. Never once um, did he put any pressure on me. Um, were he judgmental of me? Did he criticise any performances? If I ever went to him, just said, Dad, how do you think I went today? He'd be honest. He'd say, yeah, I thought you had a good game, lad, or yeah, I thought you could have done a bit better here and there. But that were only when I went to him. He was very, very um, into that. Uh, just kind of let me figure things out for myself. And I think that's what enabled me to probably be so reflective at a young age and, and figure out what I wanted at a young age from about 11, 12. You know, I was doing a lot of self-reflection, deep, deep reflection without even knowing it. You know, I speak to players about it now. And it's obviously very prevalent in the game. And you talk about mindfulness and all that sort of thing now. It's massive. But I was doing that back then at that age. And I, don't, I think it's because it just allowed me the space to, to grow and figure things out for myself. And maybe there were some intrinsic things in there as well. Uh, but yeah, my dad was um, as supportive as a parent as you could have wished for. And my mum as well. Mum were probably more opinionated than that, to be honest. You know, he'd just kind of sit back. And I guess it, I remember specifically as well, like watching a State of Origin game, probably, I probably shouldn't say this, but sometimes mum and dad, there were like two or three of us used to walk to school and mum and dad, what State of Origin were on, they'd sometimes write a little letter and say, <laughs> oh yeah, they're, uh, <laughs> they've got a, a doctor's appointment or something, so we could all stay and watch State of Origin in the morning. And I can't remember what year it was, it must have been about, uh, 96, 97, so I would have been probably going on 13 at that point, 14, just starting to really understand the game, read the game, and uh, watching a game, and Brett Kamali were playing, I was studying his kicking game and those sorts of things, and when I was reflecting on it with my dad, he's like, you, he's like, you know what, you, you probably read the game better than me now, son. This is like, um, kind of got to that stage, and I think he was just always that kind of a parent, you know, never pushy, never forced me into anything, Always incredibly supportive, and that's just him as a character, though. I think because he's, you know, a humble, hard-working guy, and he don't feel like the need to reflect his ego onto onto anyone else. So I think that's uh, what a big part of it. And I'm just really grateful that, as I say, I were able to grow up in that environment. Definitely, and it, it clearly put you in in good stead for the career that you were going to and embark on. And just before we touch on that, how long were you playing at Normanton before teams came sniffing around? And more, obviously, before you did go on to Bradford, what kind of clubs were there? Or it always just Bradford? 
Well, it would, it would a bit different then because, and we always discuss this, and I don't know if it, again, you always look back quite fondly, don't you, sometimes who roast into glasses and a bit of nostalgia, but you talk to a lot of lads who played game and who are playing now or various um, different generations and, all we had then, we had your, you had your amateur club, which were Normington, then you had your district team, which were Wakefield District or Leeds or Wigan or whatever. And then you went and played for Yorkshire then. And then you play Yorkshire against Lancashire or Umberside or North West Counties, whatever it was. And that's when all the scouts would be there, obviously from about under 10s onwards, all the scouts would be there. So you get the nod, the Leeds scouts here today, the Wigan scouts are here today and all that sort of stuff. And probably from about that age onwards, really, about 10 years old, you really become aware of it. So they were always the big games that you were striving to try and get selected for Wakefield and then selected to play Yorkshire. And you did that every year. Played with your district or your schoolboy team when you got a bit older, obviously, in high school. So I played with Wakey District and cast schools and then it were either Yorkshire, Barla, as it were then, or Yorkshire schoolboys. And then you could go on to England schoolboys. They were a very, I thought it were a very pathway. And it also instilled, there were a lot, you played a lot of big games as well. So it instilled that competitive nature into a young age. So like you're playing against a lot of derby games, obviously, like Normington, you played Stanley, Alton, Eastmore, Travellers at Featherston, whatever. So you got your big derby games and then you'd play Wakey District against Cass or Wakey against Leeds. So they were big games. And then you play Yorkshire Lancashire three times. Whereas then it transitioned a little bit. Lads weren't playing as many games. They didn't have, they had the service areas and things like that, but they didn't have the district and then... I was coaching um, with England Academy the last few years and they brought back the origin game. You lads will be fully aware of that, the Yorkshire Lancashire. And they were trying and, and the spin they were putting on it like it was this new innovative thing and yeah, more representative games. So they're playing, they play two origin games and obviously a couple against Aussie schoolboys and it's more high level rugby. I think that it's fantastic and that's brilliant that we're moving forward like that, but we were doing that, you know, 20 years ago. So why did we change? That's just my opinion. But yeah, you'd have the scouts buzzing around and they'd start picking lads up probably about 12 years old. You'd start having conversations about contracts and things. I know like the better player you talked about, Richie Mathers were in my age group and Bale, Ryan Bailey. And they're like called Adam Thaler, who were probably the best player around that time. Absolutely exceptional. You might know Adam from like Wakefield, Normington area. And they're getting signed on at 12-year-old. I don't know if it's legal or not, but you're pretty much committing to that club, really. And then, obviously, when you start with academy, you start getting paid money. But, yeah, from that age, the scouts are buzzing around. And, um, yeah, I think the better players usually had the pick. Pick of the litter, really, in terms of what clubs, because all the clubs were buzzing. There were no... You weren't restricted to service areas or things, so if Saints or Wigan wanted you, they could get you. Whereas now, I think if you obviously play with Normington, it'll be Wakefield or Castleford service area. You'll go through their system and then later on you can get picked off. But then it will just free-for-all, yeah. So I remember some lads were getting offered open checkbooks from Wigan Saints, Leeds, whoever it might be, because they're just that desperate for your signature. Um, but that's how it was then, really, yeah. Obviously, you've been involved with rugby throughout your career at all levels. Just from a coaching point of view, now obviously you're experienced as a player. Would you say, obviously, the, the service the service teams and districts at amateur level have kind of died off a bit? It's just you go on trial at Yorkshire and hopefully you get picked for Barla. Would you say that the game's missing an opportunity by not having the service areas involved anymore? Because as you said, it allows the player to develop more holistically because they're getting that big game experience. Yeah, I mean, I would say so, yeah. Um, 
Definitely. I think I think the the more games you can play, that's how you learn essentially. You know, they talk about you know, skill acquisition, ten thousand hour or however you want to frame it, but you learn by playing, you learn by doing. And the more the more game time you can get, especially at high level competitive environments, that's how you learn and you grow. And as I say, we were kicking ball about playing TMP every day. We'll we were training a couple of times a week and then you might train the Wakefield District, then you might have a Yorkshire session and then, yeah, you play Saturday for Yorkshire and then you play Sunday for your team. And I know, obviously, they're talking about the amount of games kids are playing and things like that becomes very prevalent. But I just think the more you can play, the better for me, at a young age especially. And I see that so much with our young lads as well that we get down at London because obviously we're rugby league not being the main sport down here. We get lads from union backgrounds or they might come through football in terms of our talent ID programme and even the community clubs as well these lads have not got as much behind them as what them lads up, up north have and them lads up north many have got nowhere near as much behind them as probably what we had coming through what they have got is better coaching obviously the game's moved on substantially and like, the coaching's gone to the next level across the board as all things do evolve but yeah 100% mate I just think they're missing a the trick there by not doing that because uh, it instills some, some really good uh, values and habits in players at a young age for me. Yeah, I, uh, I massively agree. So back onto you anyway. Uh, obviously, when you started out in '97 and 2001, Bradford and Bulmany were massively all go. You know, they were winning pretty much anything you put in front of them. Coming through the academy, what was it like as a, as a young lad, being involved around that that big superstar squad and learning from them? Yeah, it was it was amazing, really. When I look back and I reflect on, it, I was very very fortunate. Uh, to have been around Bradford at that time, who were a really impressive club. They were pioneering the game in terms of what they were doing off the field in Bull Mania and getting them fans through the gate, 15,000 average crowds or whatever, with the, the speedway going on, the razzmatazz before the gate. It was entertainment. Yeah. It was entertainment and they created a, a family atmosphere at the games and they created a generation of fans, really. And I was just really, um, really fortunate to be involved with the club at that time. I fell in love with Bradford. Uh, to answer the, one of the early questions, like there were a couple of clubs had the option out for me because the, uh, the scouts there at that time, uh, they become close family friends with the moment feel part of a family. And I think that was one of the big things that they really encouraged. They were a massive family club. Everyone were important, right down from the guys who were doing the ground staff to the turnstiles to the commercial manager to the head coach to the CEO it didn't matter everyone were important and that's the culture and environment they created and then just from a rugby perspective yeah just some fantastic players fantastic leaders driving, driving really really high standards ahead of the time really ahead of the time some of the, uh, when you when you look back and see some of the stuff they were doing off the field as well as on the field because the sport science they're kicking about then you talk about the term sport science. Some of the players were well ahead of the curve in terms of what they're doing. And um, yeah, just a great environment to be around, some great leaders. And to come through that um, academy system there, some fantastic coaches as well, some brilliant coaches back at Bradford. I was really, really, really lucky when I look back on it. And it and, uh, sort of yeah, that you um, that are in, sort of inputted and implemented at that time, carried through. A lot of those interaction as well. So yeah, as I say, great place to be at that time. 
Yeah, as, as you mentioned your coaches, obviously whilst you were in the academy at Bradford, you got picked to play for England Academy and eventually you know, captain them against the schoolboys Australian side, which you beat. Could you tell us how you got told about that and how you felt leading your country out? Yeah, so I, I used to set goals from a young age and I always have goals written and very clearly mapped out and I always wanted to represent the academy. Uh, we're fortunate enough to get selected the year four when we toured, we toured Australia and New Zealand. So I was playing a year up. There were about probably four or five of us playing a year up. And uh, managed to get the nod for that. So that were a fantastic experience. I think we did eight, could have been eight weeks all up in uh, New Zealand and Australia. As a young 17-year-old lad, first time probably left home for that amount of time. And you were a group with other lads as well. And, and that one awesome. Mike Gregg was the coach. Um, God bless him. Uh, sick coach Mike um, had a lot of respect for him and also as a coach and just built a really good relationship with him um, we had a really good tour knocked the Kiwis off I think in two test matches over in Aust uh, New Zealand and went to Australia uh, just got picked post in first game uh, by the Aussie schoolboys and then the second one was well, a little bit of a blowout victory I think it walked day before a group of 17 18 year old lads there who were probably a bit homesick and um, probably just ready for home at that point so I think they, they knocked us off in that last game but it was a really successful tour and then had some good relations with Mike on the back of it because uh, I know we'll be coming back the year after everything went well and yeah we just kept in touch the year and then he yeah, he just asked me in one phone call he just says would you like to captain the side didn't you do a good job for us and um, in terms of what he wanted from the team as well and the balance of the squad is just, I think you can help some selection things and Really good conversations over that. Uh, put the side together, and then as you see, I think they were the, we were the first team to to beat the Aussies in. Well, it might have been forever. I'm not sure. At least turn over in a Test series win, Saints and and Leeds as well. But love working with Mike and Dave Lyle were the assistant. Stu Wilkinson, another coach, were involved. Who went on to good things. In, we just had some, we had some really good, fan, some really good coaches, but some fantastic players as well. Like you could look at both of them squads, and it's like a who's who of the Super League, probably twenty years after that. And same with the Aussie teams as well. So it were, um, yeah, really, really enjoyable to be involved with those teams at such a young age and get some great experience as well. Superb stuff, mate. So you've, you've moved on to your, to your debut, 2002 against Wakefield, 44-12 win against uh, your home city club. And thank you very much for that. I'm sure we're all there for that at that point. Um, in fact, you only actually played another game that season, which was again uh, off, off the bench against Wakefield, 36-18, another win. What do you remember about your first taste of, of first grade? Yeah, just probably a little bit before that, actually, uh... It's obviously quite competitive and, and you, you sort of like, you, although you compete with yourself, you do what your peers are doing as well. And especially when you come through, as I say, all those age groups, we had such a competitive age group coming through, whether it was in Leeds or us and whoever. Some really good players. So the lads that you need, um, like Richie Mathers and Luke Robinson and all these sorts of lads, they were all in my, my age. And uh, a couple of them lads started debuting. I remember Walker a year above. I think he debuted at 16, did Chev, and you had lockers and people like that debuting at 18. So I always wanted to be like, well, you know, I want to I want to play young. I want to get in that first team and 
and debut and play young as well because just that competitive nerve that you have. So, like, I think um, when I promoted to the first team squad at 18, I had it all to come. I just wanted to play. I wanted to get my debut. I wanted to show everybody what I thought I could do. It's just a little bit of naivety that. I think you've got to earn it at that time. Bradford had an unbelievable team. I think probably one to 20 squad numbers were all international players and here's little old me, you know, trying to nip at their heels and wait for the opportunity. So I think they're just really smart with the coaches uh, uh, picking the times when to play you, uh, the opportunities when to, when to give you a run out and when to hold you back. And um, yeah, I just remember, I think it, I can't remember what the exact conversation I would have had with Nobby about playing my first game, but I just remember getting all being super, super excited. Obviously, it was Wakefield, my hometown team, so all your mates are going to be there and everything else. So I just wanted to go out there and you want to rip trees up and show everybody what you've got and try and impress. And obviously, in hindsight, that's not always the, the most productive way to go about things. I think the first carry, um, well, I got the ball for got into contact, uh, tried to force an offload to ground. Um, I remember Scott Naylor just coming over. Scotty put his arm around me. He just says, uh, just relax, relax. You know, you don't have to do anything special here. You're here for a reason. Just relax and do your job. That's all you need to do. You don't need to come up with a special play. I think from that moment, I took a deep breath and thought, right, I'm in it now, I'm in it. And the thing I do remember vividly is just the speed of the game. You know, I was always a big lad anyway. At that age, I was probably 18, 19. I was the biggest I probably was in my career. You know, I was a young lad coming through. I probably playing impact role off bench at that time. I had a bit of pace as well. So they were sort of bringing me on for 20-minute spells in Barrow and a sort of wide-running back rower. Um, but yeah, I just remember the game so quick. So physically, I was fine. But the speed of the game, the speed of thought, the players moving in front of you, the lines are run. Obviously, the, the, the attack's trying to create indecision in the defence and it's just that speed of thought and um, moving quickly and responding quickly to what's in front of you. That was the biggest difference, I remember. And I remember that being the first thing when I stepped up to the first team in Bradford as well. Some amazing players, obviously. My first training session, just defending against Robbie Paul. And Robbie were in his, in his pomp then. And uh, it was just like a blur in front of your eyes. Just like, whoa, you know, like, <laughs> how am I supposed to tackle this guy? You know, his feet were so good and little Robbie Burrow were obviously the same, you know, in terms of that electric acceleration and speed. So that was the, the big thing from the game, the game and having to move quick, respond quick to what's in front of you, but uh, soon adapted and uh, got up to speed with it. But yeah, I would say really fortunate to, uh, to get the nod in them two games against my hometown team. Uh, so yeah, it was a really, really good experience. You, you, you mate, exactly right, mate. And, you know, your first full season in 2003, Bradford finished top of the table. They won the Challenge Cup. They won the Grand Final. You talk about players in the pump, mate. You've got people like, you know, Joe Vagana, Jimmy, Jimmy Lowe's, Brian Mack, Lee Radford, Jamie Peacock, Mike Forshaw, all ahead of you in the pack. Scott Naylor, like you've already said. What, what were it like being in this side who were, who were, you know, the best team in the world at that point and... You know, you mentioned you're trying to clip at the reels, but it must have been brilliant even just to be in that environment. Yeah, it was. It was, so really fortunate. Because as a young lad, you, you're pretty much a passenger, really. Um, you get the odd ones who are super exceptional, like Leon came through. Leon debuted at 16, and he was quite an integral part in the team at a very young age. But generally speaking, as a young lad, you're there. You're a bit of a sponge, you're a bit of a passenger. Just learning, you're trying to grow, you're finding your own way, waiting for your opportunities. 
yeah, talk about some some great horse to have. You know, like you say, it's just a who's who there of, of the Super League. You just named a lot of good uh, good players there, and yeah, we're really really fortunate to be in and amongst them. But then same time because I was so competitive and well myself, I knew that I had to try and be better than them. You know, that not that I'm not saying I was by stretch, but you're just thinking what way can I, can I try and uh, make an impact on this team? So you try and be first in gym in the morning, you try and be last to leave, but the early you turned up the gym, there'd always be there, Danny Gartner being there, or Brian Macker being there doing extras, and you'd want a bit last to leave the field. Well, you could stay there till nine o'clock, but Stuart Field and would not leave the field until everybody else left. So this is kind of what you that competitive spirit that were within the team. So you just and for the sessions as well, you know, you you uh, front up against Stu Fielding and Big Joe and Baloo and you've got Robinson about in front of you and Big T and Les or Shawnee or whoever it might be. You know, you, you're coming up against every single day. What you face on a weekend sometimes uh, pales in comparison, really. So just, uh, as I say, well, fantastic. as a young kid coming through with those players and those personalities, yeah, it were, a, it were an experience to behold. As I say, one I look back on really fondly now and I reflect on it. And I was just really fortunate to have been able to be in that environment at that time. Some absolutely incredible names you're mentioning there, mate. But, you know, unfortunately, you couldn't get on the field in the Charles Cup final and the grand final. But the season after 2004, the World Club Challenge defeat against Penrith, um, you managed to come off the bench 22 points to four. They, they had a brilliant side at that stage as well, just beat the Roosters in the grand final the season before. Um, sum up that for me as well. That must have been, it's just once again, another another victory in the icing on top of that cake around in that squad that season. Yeah. I do think we used to, I think Nobby prepared us really, really well for the World Club Challenge. You almost had a full pre-season to prepare and it was a big focal point for us. So I just remember every single uh, training session, every team meeting, whenever we're having food, um, breakfast, First lunch, whatever it might be, when we went to Portugal on a pre camp, that always be the clips and the vision of Penrith would be on the, the big screens. Always, this is so you're talking like two months prior to the game, you're just dripping things in subconsciously, always just always there in the background. The little conversations being had. I always felt like we really prepared well for those World Club Challenge games. I'm always in real good stead, and it was always a bit damp as well. So whether it be a rainy night in Huddersfield or so that played to our advantage, but um, just some of the, the main factors that I think we, we just, them, them games like Newcastle, Penrith, tight West, just blew them away. Really. You think about the size of those Bradford teams, absolutely humongous uh, from one to 17, just absolutely massive players playing in probably wet, windy conditions where balling hands not as quick, not as sharp. Uh, so we just used to like just going to them games confident that we we're just going to physically physically dominate whoever the opposition was. And you'd sometimes see that from the, the teams after the game. I think it'd be a bit of shock and awe, really. That, that game where Stu was just a one-man wrecking machine against, I think he played 80 minutes which were nothing for Stu to do. You know, he played 80 minutes in the test match against Australia, the best player on field. Absolutely unbelievable player. Probably arguably the most impactful player I've played, we had say. Just unstoppable for 80 minutes in front row at middle. Compet- most competitive person you've met. And he's just like, you just see him breaking opposition from goers. 
like mentally, physically, whatever it was. Uh, and that's what you'd see in them games sometimes. I don't know if the Aussie teams would come over a little bit um, undercooked, probably take it a bit like, but you, after the 80 minutes, you'd look at your eyes and you could just see just the, the shock and the awe on the faces. So uh, we took a lot of pride out of our games and whenever we got the chance to feature in it, we really knew we needed to prepare well and, and represent the English game. Uh, and yeah, I thought we did it We did it really well when given the opportunity. You definitely did. And I think it's shown how well you did that. We've, the English teams have not really had much success in the, the World Cup Challenge for, for many years now. But then following on to, to, that, to the following that season, 30 games and a, an appearance at Old Trafford, your first one, but unfortunately a 16-8 loss to Leeds. What do you remember about that coming in, knowing that this was going to be the first time that you was going to actually play in a grand final? How, how did you feel about that? Yeah, obviously excited. It's, it's what you play for. Uh, you, you do set it out as probably one of your individual goals, long-term goals, but as a team, especially at Bradford that year. But any of those years, really, we knew that if we perform like we could, we should be in the mix, should be in the fold. Final, so to get to one, yeah, well, some of them lads had already been experienced. It was my first one. I think um, a lot of the main takeaways from those days are you hardly remember the game itself. I think you just kind of fall into that flow state and it goes by in such a blur. You remember bits and bobs around it. Like I remember vividly the coach journey to and how relaxed the players were. We had a very relaxed group of lads who got on really, really well and everybody had played cards and loads of big characters in that group, as you'd imagine, like Big Joey and all them boys. And I just remember sat back at bus thinking, like, this is the biggest game of the year. And I'm like, you know, a little bit nervous, a little bit tense, trying to get your game face on, so to speak. And then boys just there, playing euchre, playing whatever, playing poker, like it's any other day. Like it could be any day after training when they all got together, played cards. I'm just like, wow, like, they, you know, I can't believe how relaxed these guys are. I just sort of built it up in my own mind that it'd be something different, that you'd prepare differently or you'd take a different approach. And those lads didn't. You know, they'd been there, they'd done it probably two or three times previously, whether it be Challenge Cup or... So that one of the big takeaways, just being mesmerised on the bus, just thinking, well, I can't believe how relaxed these dudes are. And then, yeah, just the game, getting into the changing rooms and the walkout for the warm-up just hits you. Like the, the noise as you're walking out, it just hits you like a ton of bricks, like a wall of noise as you're walking out for the warm-up. You can't hear your, your teammates talk. So it's, um, I guess, an experience in itself, walking out to that noise. And then the game just goes by like that. You know, you can't remember any specific moments. You'll watch it back and you think, did that happen? Like, did that really happen? And um, yeah, it just goes by. And then obviously you remember the emotions that, that come after it, whether it be a loss or a win, they are, they always stick with you. You know, you always attach, attach memories to emotions and, and they do stick with you. And uh, obviously my first one was I got to experience defeat. But then that does give you that hunger, especially at a young age, when it's your first one, just to get back there again and try and contribute the best you can to the team to try and get back there again. So they were the main takeaways. I mean, Wardy actually played in that uh, as well. So, you know, we had a couple of conversations when I came down, started working with Wardy and, he got one up on us on, in 2004 and then we returned the favour in 2005, obviously. Yeah, but yeah just, it seems like a lifetime ago now, to be honest. 
Just touching on that 2005, as you say, you avenged Leeds, um, beating 15-6 in front of 65,000. Morley were playing for you at that point. You came back for the stint over. It must have been amazing to finally obviously get your first uh, grand final winner's ring. And, and how much did that mean to you? And, and obviously coming up through it, through Normanton, going all the way and finally winning the grand final, it must have been an amazing achievement for yourself. Yeah, it was. It was. It's something that you, you should never take lightly. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. And you see guys, uh, unbelievable really, you see guys like JP and, and Cine and all them lads who've probably got seven or eight rings. And, you, like, and it sort of <laughs> makes it sound easier than it is. Trust me, it's not. To get to the grand final and win one, it's not that easy. It takes something special. So what those teams had, it is genuinely something special. And, um, and again, same, the game itself, you don't remember many moments. Uh, just remember uh, specific flashpoints, but the, I just remember the emotions I had going into the game. And we got a rocky start that year, mid-season. We weren't really travelling that well. And you guys will remember, we actually went on, I think, an 11-game winning streak to win the final. We did it from fifth, I think, in the league. So no one had done it from there before. But we just, the feeling I had was just a feeling of invincibility going into that game. Like, I remember uh, going to Saints away final, just feeling like we just couldn't lose. Just felt like, you know, you get that momentum sometimes and you're on a roll, whatever it might be. Just felt like we couldn't lose. And then the week leading up to the final, again, I've never seen the players as excited, as that sort of relaxed, excited vibe we had around the camp. There's guys uh, breaking PBs in the gym when at that stage in the year, usually battered and bruised and patching people up. I remember guys like breaking bench PBs and stuff in that week. That was just that feel good that we had, uh, that vibe that we had going into that game. We just couldn't lose. We didn't feel like there was any way we could have lost that game. And luckily it transpired that way. But again, yeah, in terms of like the game itself, don't remember much. Remember like the celebrations afterwards and then vaguely remember the three days following that. But there were like clips in the game. It was funny because when I started coaching the academy and down here in London and... Obviously, you drive home the players all the time, like your principles are doing. You never give up your inside shoulders, and you know you never leave someone one on one or whatever it might be. And you're obviously talking that to the players all the time. And then one game, uh, sorry, one session, one of the lads has brought this clip to me, and he says, "Oh, Langers, I've seen this one. On, uh, it must have been on one of them grand final goals or something." And he showed me it was um, Matt Diskin running from dummy half. He's, he's sort of dummy with a show and go, "I've left the scene. Someone one on one." They've almost scored in the corner. I think it got this. I couldn't even remember it going back, but he's like pulled this and saying, Langers, you're telling me never to leave scene. Look at you here. I'm like, chuffing hell fire. Do as I say, not as I do. But, you know, you couldn't remember it. You remember, I can remember specifically like two or three tackles that I missed in games throughout my career, you know, over like 15 year career, because they just stick with you. Um, but them grand finals, you just don't, it just goes by in a flash, honestly. It's, it really does. At least I'd be I'd be surprised if you remembered much of the three days after, mate. If you did, I don't think you celebrated hard enough. <laughs> I don't remember too much of it. Um, you obviously must have been doing something right because you actually got picked for three times by England by the end of our four. Um, some easy victories over Russia, France and Ireland. But despite the opposition, it must have been such an honour to pull on that England jersey, represent your country. And at such a young age of only 21 years old as well. Can you just sum up that for us, please? Yeah, again, like you set goals out, uh, I think, at a very young age, 15, 16. 
Um, I remember setting goals out and, and having them written down and revisiting them and changing them as you go. And by this age, I want to have done this. And that age, I want to have done that. And by this age, I want to represent the country. I think about by 23, I wanted to have represented England or Great Britain. And I was fortunate enough to do it a little bit younger than that at 21. Um, and again, just a, a massive milestone in your career. Everybody talks about from when you're seven, eight years old, going back to what we spoke about earlier, you're getting instilled into you from your coaches, your mates, your parents, whoever, because everybody loves rugby league. One day you might play for, one day, you know, Dave Toklas, you see his picture on the wall in Normanton Rugby Club. That's Dave Toklas, he played for Great Britain. That's, you know, even the normally open age players I used to look up to and idolise. Like they were my heroes when an open age player from Normie were coming down to coach your session. That was like the biggest thing in the world. Like when, you know, we had some really good players who played pro as well for like Wakefield, Leeds, Featherstone, Bramley at that time were a pretty good team. So you just looked up to these players and you aspired to be that from such a young age. So to get to represent your country, it's a massive, massive achievement. And um, yeah, it's one that the, I certainly look back on fondly. And I think it's, it's something that every young player should try and aspire to and achieve as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about 06 to 08 in a minute, but in 07, sticking on the international theme, you got your GB call-up, which is obviously, that's, that is the pinnacle of the game for us boys over here. You know, you even got off bench, you managed to get over for a try, but when you look at the side you played with, your James Auckland's, Robies, Morley's, Sinfield's, can you explain to us what that experience was like? Yeah, well, it was just a really good environment to be in again. Because you come up against these lads week to week, obviously, uh, you don't know much about them on a personal level. You know them as players. But just to get to know some of these lads personally, um, it can be a bit cliche, couldn't it? But, you know, like you see lads upfield and how, how the personas are and, and you sort of paint a picture in your mind of what it's going to be like. And a lot of times it's very, very different. Uh, people like Moz and Terry Newton and all them lads who, the way they play the game, they play the game so aggressively, they're intimidating, they play hard. And then you get to know them and they're just, yeah, really nice, down-to-earth, humble, friendly guys. And, yeah, just really good to be in those environments and learn. You always pick little different things up as well, what other clubs are doing, what other players are doing, whether it's from a tech-tack perspective. Spend time and learn with those players. But on the flip side, they're the ones who you're competing with as well. Week to week, you're always keeping eye on, well, what's Lockers doing at Wigan? What's... Um, you know, what's Sydney doing at Leeds? And you know them lads who are in your positions, you're always keeping an eye on them from afar because you know that they're the ones ultimately that you're competing against um, when it comes to trying to gain an international cap. So, yeah, I just, uh, as I say, I was grateful to be around uh, Super League around that time when we had so many fantastic players to learn from but also to compete against as well. Obviously, between 06 and for a following few years, it was a bit of a struggle for Bradford initially. Some third, fourth, some fifth, but then as we progressed further on, you know, a couple of ninths, a couple of tenths. But you're still managing to get a, a victory in the West Tigers, West Tigers in 06 World Cup Challenge. Obviously, we, we can't hammer home how much it is to be loyal, and obviously, you've, you've shown that in your colours by how loyal you were to Bradford. Did you see it with the landscape changing so much at the club? Did you ever feel the need to leave or did you ever want to go anywhere else? What what kept you at the club? No, I just always, as I say, I just, I loved the club. I loved the club. I loved the people. I loved being around the place. And yeah, over the years, uh, there were a few changes going at the club. 
off the field. It's well documented what direction the club obviously ended up going in. But I never, I never felt like the need to to leave. I always wanted to be a one club man. I think just by nature. Again, whether that's an intrinsic thing or not, I'm not too sure. But um, I remember like sort of flipping back to when I was like uh, probably under 12s at Normington. We had the top side in the country alongside Milford who were from Leeds. They had like Richie Marves, Bales, uh, some really good players there. We were the two top sides and Normington, they didn't run a 13s at the club. They only run a 14. So when you get a bit, when you get a successful team, actually, you get a bit of parent power, don't you? You know what it's like when we've got the best team in the league, all this, whatever. Um, that's fine. Um, but the parents decided that the club should have run an under 13s because we've got the best side in the country. We just won the Yorkshire Cup, the National Cup are coming up the year after. You need to run a 13s, and the club said we can't. You know, we're gonna. I can't remember the exact reasons why, but they said it's gonna have to be a 14. So you're either gonna have to play a year up, or you're gonna have to essentially leave. So we had a we had a vote as players. We all sat in Normie Rugby Club. We sat round as pet. We said we don't want any influence from the parents. So we're just players. Um, we all voted, and um, every player voted to leave, apart from me. I voted to stay at Norton. And I ended up playing a year up from then on. I left that team and I rejoined with that team under 16s, I think, at schoolboy level or whatever it might have been. But I always went and played a year up then and stayed at Normie. Why I made that decision, I don't know. Um, I just always, I think I always had that ingrained within me to just be loyal uh, for whatever reason it might be. I don't know. So I just, I guess that carried on through to when I went to Bradford and. Um, yeah, I just never, ever crossed my mind to ever leave the club. As long as the club wanted me there, I were happy to be there and contribute and, and do the best I could for them. I can't give you enough credit for that. You know, loyalty is something you can't buy. It's instilled into you and you've obviously got it in bags. But obviously, during this period of time, you, you've become more of an elder statesman in the group. You know, you, you start in 13, you're well known around the club, and you, but you're still producing talent such as your Burgesses, your Whiteheads, your Bateman, what what would it like them coming through and playing with you? Yeah, the lads there, them name, name what careers they've had, like Sam, obviously Elliot, uh, Johnny Johnny Bateman, unbelievable players who've gone on to have fantastic careers. It just shows what an up-bed Bradford is and, and they have produced some great talent. I guess you just, um, yeah, you, you, you just try and do the best you can for those lads. If you can advise them, if you can mentor them in any way, you try and set the standards, you try and drive the standards, lead by example. And that's the best you can do as a leader within the group. And that's something that I always enjoyed doing from quite a young age anyway. I think um, even from academy, I remember if you got any new lads into academy, I'd always want to be there to greet them and make them feel welcome and and try and, you know, bring them into the group and whatever it might be, build relationships early, which is essentially what leadership's about, building relationships. So I think, yeah, when you're in that senior position, as we were there, working with some, some really, really good players, uh, you just got to try, try and do the best you can for them and for the team. And if they, if they pick up one or two bits from you along the way, then great. I think if you've helped them in any small way throughout their journey and their careers, then that's great as well. So you just sort of, uh, that's, the, that's the role that you kind of fall into more as a senior player as your career progresses. Superb stuff, mate. And I, just looking at, you know, we mentioned your loyalty, but your, your time at Bradford came to an ending. You spent some time at OPR in Sheffield at the back end of your career. 
what brought about them transfers and was it about you planning for, for the future or did you fancy another crack at, at different clubs? So, yeah, the whole KR move, um, there were a little bit of indecision at Bradford that year. Obviously, we're fully aware of the, the financial constraints and all the difficulties the club were going through. I was probably one of the higher earners still from, um, from my previous contract at that time. And I'd spent a fair bit of time on sidelines as well, like getting, you know, pretty busted to like probably the last five or six years of my career. I was pretty busted at the injuries, the surgeries just caught up with me a little bit. And um, yeah, admittedly, probably wasn't producing uh, week in, week out, wasn't able to get myself on the field, the training paddock, never mind the, the actual field. And, and, and end of the day, when you look at it from a club's perspective, and I see that now, you know, it's a business, it is a business and you've got to do what's right for the team. You've got to balance the books and you've got to do what's right for the squad as well. And and to probably, to keep at that stage, the club just weren't too sure. Um, they were saying, if they're going to keep it on, it'll probably be a reduced contract anyway, which I totally understood. I got that. Uh, but they just said, we're not too sure at this moment in time um, on on whether your future lies here or elsewhere. I want to stay, you know, I got a couple of offers that year at various clubs and I turned them down, just hung on, hoping that Bradford had come to the table. Anyway, you hang on, you hang on, you hang on. And when you know what you know now, obviously, it advise your younger self a lot differently. But at that time, I just, I just, you know, I wanted to stay at Bradford. I wanted to be a club man. And anyway, as it transpired, um, it looked like we were going in the direction of there probably weren't going to be a role for me at the club. Um, any longer, so that's fine. So that's when I took up the option with all KR. So I signed a two year deal with KR, um, but because of my injury history, uh, the first year I think I had to play 16 games to activate the second year. Got to, I think I got to 11 games, we were about 11 in that year, and um, I were in uh, contract talks we to renegotiate to extend for a another year, which would have took me to 32, 33. Started getting to that age then, that next step. And then I blew my knee out in the game against Warrington, uh, just out of the blue. And that was it. So obviously I didn't play another game that year. And then, yeah, we're never going to take a punt on, uh, on someone with my, my injury history as well. So um, at that stage then, that's when... Um, uh, I decided to, well, I had to work what other options were out there. And then there were, uh, an offer came available from Sheffield, which was uh, predominantly playing, but also an off-field coaching role as well until I got my knee, until hopefully when I got my knee back right. And then obviously resumed my playing role. So that's uh, that's when I started then to make the transition from full-time, which I'd known for probably 15 years of my life, to, to part with the Eagles. Superb stuff, mate. And he, I mean, we've, we've all had a gander at your Instagram, mate. I'll tell you this now, all three of us. And you've got some very interesting bits and bobs on there. Your, your, your coffee brand with Wayne Godwin, we're very much interested in. You're absolutely mad into fitness, mate, as I'm sure we've, we've, everybody has seen with your rowing and stuff. I won't mind knowing about that. And you're travelling the world with your missus. You've been to some amazing places. Can, can you cram all that in? Just tell us very briefly about your life outside of rugby league. Uh, yeah, so I always love training. I always loved training from a young age. I started, um, obviously, alongside rugby training. I remember going down, uh, started weight training at about 12, 13 years old. 
with old fella. We've all seen them. We've all. I don't know if they knock about anymore, but uh, these old guys in your village, didn't you? Know everyone went to like so and so, so and so. Yeah, he can he'll teach you how to do weights. You know that sort of conversation. And with this old bloke in Notley called Mick Copley, really nice old bloke. Um, what qualified him as a SNC coach? I have absolutely. But everybody went to Mick Copley to to learn how to bench press in Normie, basically. So, <laughs> so I told her team, mum's like, right, you're going to Mick Copley's. He's going to take teacher out to lift weights. So, but lad, um, he were a lad, he was down at Wakefield Academy, Nicky Pritchard, he never kicked on, but he played with, with Normington as well. He was like under 18s. So that's the way training. But I was hooked. I just loved the gym from that point forward. So, uh, yeah, some players from they're not the best fans and um, I think as soon as the boots it they never stuck foot in a gym a gym again but I just I really enjoy training it's a big part of my, my lifestyle it's good for my mental health as well. um, I say it's it falls in line with my values so I've just always kept it on like um, there's various that you can't do from as I say from your playing days with all your losers but I just do what I can um, with what I've got and yeah it's a big part of our day we have a coach's gym session at uh, half five every morning at Bronx you know there's four pumping iron doing more and jumping up rowers lads who can run run and it gets a good start and I'm a big believer in it I tried it and I couldn't do without it really um, yeah and then in terms of the travel stuff um, I was I always dedicated to the game I was identified as a rugby league player throughout my career and Without any, you can talk about that, it's another subject altogether. But so, all my decision making process will geared towards rugby league player, which made my life very, very simplistic. I started um, going out with my missus when I was about 22, and she was very well travelled, lived all around Europe, like speaks two or three different languages. And, and I'd never really, other than a couple of lads' holidays to Tenerife, I'd never really been out of been out of Norway. So, because everything I wanted to do was play rugby. That would it. Everything in my life I geared towards playing rugby. So, you know, than a couple of lads' holidays, I'd not experienced the world. But as I say, Mrs. Well travelled. So, whenever the opportunity, we'd um, we'd up sticks and cough and um, yeah, seen some unfortunately see some really really cool places uh, throughout throughout my life. Um, and there's still a lot more. Obviously, I'd like to see. Uh, you're quite restricted as a professional sportsman as to when you can go on holiday. And that our lass really struggled to get her head around that because she didn't understand what rugby league was. She just thought, first game she came to watch me at Bradford, it was going to be one man and his dog around a, you know, a, a field somewhere in God knows where. But, um, so she used to say, can't you just tell your coach you want a week off so I can go, <laughs> go on holiday at summer? I'd be like, it doesn't quite work like that, love, no. <laughs> took her two years to suss it out but you're quite restricted obviously so you get that six week window end of the season so we'd always try and plan a nice little trip away for that and as I say I've managed to see many places and um, hopefully get to see plenty more yeah, the coffee obviously we wag we did the clothing uh, a few years back and then as lives just got really busy Obviously, Wag, Wag started a family, he retired, he made the transition into full-time work. I moved down London at the same time. So we're just, we're just having enough time in his life to continue on with what we were doing. So we said, we'll put it on hold, but when the time's right, we can always look to 
to bring it back. And then, because we all love coffee, obviously coffee is a massive part of the culture, their lives now, especially um, sports people. So that's what I thought we'd, uh, we'd go with angle with coffee. And then if it starts to grow uh, from then on, so it's back, we can expand the brand. Obviously COVID permitting, but that's, yeah, that's where we want to go with it. And uh, yeah, it's going pretty well. It's always, it's always see why his videos pop up on, on Instagram. Uh, it's like, you know, <laughs> the videos up fly around, you know, with the, the certain noises on that you're all, you all send it in a WhatsApp group. When you let noises come in, everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's a bit like that with Wagger, isn't it? When you, you're going through your phone, all of a sudden you hear that, there she is! <laughs> I just hear it all phones, and that's what it's like. But yeah, it's been good fun, and it was a really good distraction, actually, during uh, the COVID break, just to give us something else to focus on, so we weren't all, all going crazy. I can only imagine what it's, around, what it's like just to hang around with Wagger, never mind to have him as the business partner. So fair play for you for taking that on. And uh, hopefully, obviously, after COVID, hopefully a thing of the past day, it goes from strength to strength. Just one last real uh, quick question, uh, Jamie. I'd like to ask this to everyone who's come on. And uh, as quick as you can, I know it's hard to choose because you've played with some amazing uh, uh, sports professionals in your career. But who would you say is the best rugby league player that you've ever played with and uh, the best that you've ever played against? I'd say... So for my, uh, obviously, different positions, different areas, all that. I think in terms of just pure, I hate using the phrase, um, in terms of like natural ability, Leon, Leon stood out, uh, Pricey, could have played any position on field, had, had the skill set, the attributes, could turn on its head, could have uh, done or been whatever he wanted, really. And then in terms of... Um, the characteristics that, that I want from a player as a coach, the person that's displayed those to the utmost would be JP, Jamie Peacock. To see JP, I was fortunate to see him develop from probably, I mean, I was a lot I was younger than him, but I was sort of on that traject- same, similar trajectory. And he is him from a young player, finding his feet in that team of superstars that you said, to then uh, start transitioning role, to become probably one of the, if not the greatest one of them's ever seen. He just willed himself to be good, JP. First to admit, he probably didn't have the athletic attributes or the natural skill, but uh, just unbelievable character, toughness, grit, uh, determination, competitiveness, just willed himself to achieve what he achieved. And if you could, if you had a few of them in your team, as they with those character traits... He pretty much, you know, they can drive, like you've seen it with that Michael Jordan documentary, those players can have a team to greatness and JP shared a lot of those qualities. They just will into greatness and I'd say he sticks out for those reasons. Both excellent choices there, mate, and I'm not sure that anyone can really argue with them. Both players that define their generation in a way and, and, and everything that growing up is players that we admired and wanted to be like. Um, you've had a wonderful career. Um, you've obviously got the highs playing for Great Britain. Um you come from an area that's obviously close to all our heart. I mean, unfortunately, you did play for Normie and not East Mall, which is the right side of Wakefield, but we'll forgive you for that. Um, but it's been an absolute treat having you on the podcast. So thank you very much for uh, blessing us with your time, mate. No, thank you, lads. It's, it's always a pleasure. I uh, wish you all the best. And uh, I've enjoyed listening in as well, doing a great job.
Thank you very much, mate. Really appreciate it. That's all from today's episode, guys. Um, keep an, an ear out on all of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Plenty more content to come. Um, plenty more interviews lined up. And obviously the NRL and Super League season kicking off very soon. And to quote my very good friend Jamie Robinson, we will catch you down the road.